Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as TIFA Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Jen Amos here, giving some announcements before we get into today's conversation, which was absolutely amazing. It was so great to hear it a second time around. But welcome to the second week of Filipino American History Month. As a reminder, Nani and I are kicking off this month and ending it strong because starting November, our show is going to go on break. However, if you would like to continue to hear us in the off-season, especially here at the Filipino American Women Project, we would love your support on biasboba.com. For every 20 cups of boba that you support us on there, we'll guarantee a bonus episode in the off-season. So it's either 20 cups of boba, or if we get two new members between now and the end of the month, that can also count for a bonus episode as well. And actually, if you choose to become a member on biasboba.com, because remember, there's a difference. If you just buy us a cup of boba, that's just a one-time commitment. But if you choose to become a member, which is a monthly commitment to support Filipina-led media, such as our show, as being a member on biasboba.com, you will have access to our private podcast show, Chismas with Jen and Ani. And at this point, we are about, wow, 13 episodes into Chismas with Jen and Ani. And on there, it's anything from our archived shows on Facebook Live and YouTube Live to just original content where Nani and I get down and dirty in regards to our personal lives and also invite people in our lives to share their story and talk about us and themselves and their experiences. So last week's Chismas with Jen and Nani episode was pretty awesome. I cannot reveal all the details, especially who interviewed us for their upcoming academic paper, but I'll give you a hint by sharing the title to you. So the title of Chismas of Jenanani, episode 13, goes, My sense of responsibility to myself, my people, and my community is a lot greater than my fears. A deep dive into podcasting with Jenanani. This is actually a really great episode to listen to, especially in theme of Filipino American History Month you are interested in learning about the history of the Filipino American Woman Project. And so if that is something you're interested in, remember you can show us your monthly support by joining us on biasboba.com. And if you've been listening to the beginning of our show, we often give you the direct link, which is buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. But if you're looking for the short link, just look up biasboba.com. It'll take you straight there. So my next announcement is Nani is publishing our newsletters again. So if you are already subscribed to our newsletter and you hadn't received it in the recent weeks, 
make sure you check your spam folder for my email, jen, J-E-N, at tifaproject.com. Sometimes it ends up there. Even when I send myself a test email, it shows up in my spam, like my own email. Could you believe it? So just double check if you've already subscribed to check your inbox to see if my email is in there. And make sure you save jen at tifaproject.com as a trusted contact. So in the off season, we may not be publishing new episodes on the Filipino American Woman Project, but we hope to stay in touch with you via newsletter or of course, staying in touch with us on biasboba.com. So with that said, thank you all so much for listening to my announcements. Now, please enjoy this wonderful, wonderful interview with Jessica Prudencio. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short. I am your creator and co-host, Jen Amos, and I have Nani Dominguez, my co-host, with me still. So, Nani, welcome back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And by the time we do this recording, we've kind of slowed down on our newsletters. We're doing every other week now, just trying to slow down because of where you're at in life and where I'm at in life. And so, you know, for people who have yet to subscribe to our newsletter, Nani, let them know why they should stay in touch with us in that way. Yes, please subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already. We have a lot of just goodies in there for you guys. Updates for both Tifa and TJN, which is our latest project, our private podcast platform that's available only for our members, which you can sign up for on biasboba.com if you haven't already. And we keep you updated with the latest episodes that we've released or events that we've done over there, as well as here on the Tifa project. As Jen said, we're kind of slowing down. So you definitely want to make sure that you are tuned in there on the newsletter to make sure that you stay up to date with what we have going on. And then also I give you a little bit of, you know, just the top stories of the week for news from the Philippines, news from America, and also from around the world. So we share some community resources in there and other projects that Jen and I are working on outside of those two podcasts. And it's just the way that you keep in touch with us these days, besides listening to these episodes. So if you want more Tifa, more Jen and Nani in between each Friday episode release that you guys get here, then check out the newsletter. Yeah. And you know, the newsletter has become my favorite way of community building. I was recently told the other day for another project, they're like, oh, you got to do like more promotional on social media. And, you know, I think with just all this, like with the Zoom fatigue and the social media fatigue and the pandemic fatigue, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I just don't really want to be like in those spaces. I would rather, you know, stay in touch with people through newsletter. And so that's really where we've been putting a lot of our energy. And so if that intrigues you and you want to stay in community with us, make sure to check out the show notes of this episode to subscribe and also check out our website, tifaproject.com to be able to subscribe from there. Anyway, that is it. That's my only call to action for the day. I want to keep it super simple because we have another exciting guest, Nani, for our show here at the Tifa Project. I'm going to go ahead and introduce her. We have Jessica Prudencio, who is a director, professor, and Muay Thai enthusiast, and recently named 2021 Woman to Watch on Broadway by the Broadway Women's Fund. You can find her right now on Instagram at Jessica Jane and Facebook, Jessica Prudencio, and also her website, JessicaPrudencio.com. So without further ado, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, so 
happy to be in company with both of you and everyone else listening in. Thank you. Yes, we're so happy to have you because we were talking a little bit about this offline, about the fact that someone like you exists, <laughs> you know, in our community. And we'll get more into your story later of what we mean by that. Uh, but real quickly, we just want to give a shout out to Francesca, who introduced you to us. Her episode recently came out, episode 115, which came out July 16, 2021. But Jessica, how do you and Francesca know each other? Oh my gosh. Yeah, we met in the theater world. Actually, a mutual friend had recommended that we meet each other that like, oh, you're cool. And, and, and she's cool. And I feel like the two of you would get along. And, and I invited her to a workshop of a Filipino play that I was working on. And we immediately knew we were going to keep working together and probably stay really good friends for the rest of our lives. And so that was a few years ago. And We've been so close ever since. So again, always grateful to have friends um, that are not only, you know, soul sisters, but also connected in the work we do. And, and yeah. she and I really understand each other on a, on a sort of spiritual and creative level as well. So Yeah. Well, shout out to you, Francesca. We think she's amazing. Nani, any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, you know, there are those certain people that you meet and, you know, kind of the love at first sight feeling that you get where yeah. it's just familiar already and you feel like you've known them forever and you just know like you said that you're going to be friends forever and I think that Jen and I both felt that way when we met Francesca as well and we had been in communication with her for a long time before we actually had her on the show so I'm just again so glad I think you're like the second or third person that we've interviewed now that she's recommended ever since her episode came out. And so we're just so glad to be meeting more of her people, seeing who her family is, her chosen family, and getting to know you guys more because it's the way that we expand our family. Yeah, for sure. We're definitely a word of mouth community here. And because we've had experiences of people just sending us like press releases or kind of pushing, you know, their marketing material on us saying why they should be on our show. And, you know, Nani, it's a little off-putting, right? <laughs> you know, when people do that. So when we can just go through recommendations of our past guests, like it, it just already feels like an extension of family that is coming onto our show. So, you know, Jessica, Francesca had recommended you to us, but more importantly, you said yes to be on our show and tell us why did you decide to, you know, kind of join us on our show here at the Filipino American Woman Project? Yeah. At this point right now, I, you know, as a, someone that's in showbiz, uh, yeah, I have to do a lot of interviews and a lot of marketing things and, and just speak, I have to speak publicly a lot, uh, yeah. but thinking about the spaces I speak at now and how I talk about myself, I want to be more intentional mm. about it and being in company with fellow Philam women, that it feels right right now to yeah. be within parts of my community that feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I feel like sometimes there's almost the shame of wanting to associate with people in your community. It's like, oh, I don't want to be around like too many Filipinos. I got to like palate cleanse by being with my white folk kind of thing, you know, but I think it's just kind of that struggle of being a Filipino American, you know, being a hyphenated American of like, you know, being proud of your roots, but also making sure you assimilate and succeed in this American society. So I like this intentionality that you want to bring forth, at least at the time of this recording. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're catching me at a moment where I am really investigating identity in an exciting way and, you know, who I am and what family is and even redefining what community is. So I'm yeah. just in a very open and excited place to 
to meet new people, but also explore my own identities like this one right now. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to hear more about that. I mean, in speaking about kind of what you're recently going through in terms of searching for identity and connecting with your roots. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you identify as a Filipino American? Yeah, you know, I'm my parents are both physicians, both doctors from the Philippines. They came here and had me and my two sisters in New Jersey, Pennsylvania. I grew up in central Pennsylvania, very suburban. Um, mm. Uh, white town. And it's interesting because my Filipino identity was very much a part of uh, growing up in that we were very involved in our Filipino community. So even in central Pennsylvania, we had a very strong, have a very strong Filipino American community where we have potlucks every week. I learned the dances. We would perform in a big Christmas performance where I learned all the dances, sang the songs. And so my entrance into the theater is actually through my culture. Yes. And I didn't really put that together until my adult life, like later on. At first, it was like, oh, how did you get into theater? I said, oh, well, I did plays in middle school and then I got into, I did musicals in high school. And then I did some more deep thinking and I realized, no, I actually have been performing since I was five. Mm-hmm. I was like a little princess in the St. Gill, you know? And I, you <laughs> know, it. I, it's actually, I was performing before I was, I was performing in my cultural dances before I was performing in American theater. Mm. So that very entry point has actually shaped my work in probably the last 10 years in that I'm mostly interested in form. There's like categories of work I do, but the how, I'm interested in how we tell stories. And so I travel quite a bit and I'm interested in learning different performance forms because I'm interested in the intersection of culture and actually how performance is a culture in a way, or what is the what is the performance of culture, and how do we learn about our histories through yeah. through our ancient performance practices, and how does that inform my work in a contemporary way? So I'm just in a place of just curiosity and exploration, but ultimately, you know, my, what you see, my work is a contemporary work, but what the kind of research I'm doing, the kind of personal growth, the kind of reflection I'm doing is very, very rooted in, in culture. Yeah. I think Filipinos are natural. If there's one thing to know about Filipino culture, it's that we're natural born performers. Yeah. I'm probably the only exception to that rule. I'm not a performer. I don't <laughs> well, like I'm, spotlight. I'm with you too though, Nania. <laughs> yeah. Jen and I, we don't like, like, you know, to, to be in that kind of spotlight, but The rest of my family, I mean, even if you're not involved in like the cultural dances and the cultural arts uh, growing up, even just being in front of the karaoke machine in the living room, you know, that's something that we all know and we all love. And my family will still go rent a karaoke room out here in San Francisco and party there all night, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I think that that is kind of in our blood already. And also the fact that I think another big stereotype about Filipinos that we're very dramatic. So of course we're mm-hmm. great natural born actors and or performers of any kind. So yeah, I love that you kind of thought back even further when yeah. people ask you, where does your love for performance come from? Yeah, it's in schools. Everybody participates in school mm-hmm. plays and school activities. And, you know, you go through the motions as you're growing up as a kid to 
discover what you're good at. And those are things that you have to participate in, right? Like the musicals and the plays and all of that. But even taking it back further, it's like, oh, this started at home, you Mm -hmm. know? Right. Yeah. And even, you know, it was treated as a hobby growing Mm -hmm. up. You know, I was just very into hobbies, very into the arts. And my parents were really supportive of that. And I actually want to just lift that for a moment that I recognize that I'm in a very unique situation in that my parents are both doctors and I have a lot of nurses and doctors in my Mm. family. So a lot of people are in the medical field and my family as like a lot of Filipinos relate to, but I had full support ever since I was little, just emotionally and just, you know, heart wise, my parents were so supportive and financially they were very supportive of my, my hobbies into the art. So I do want to lift both of my parents for, for saying, you know, okay, do what you want to do, but um, you have to be the best. Mm, There you (laughs) go. And that stuck with me of like, you know, whatever I do, I want to be great at it. And they gave me the ability to dream that big that I whatever I want. I just got to do it. Got to be the best. And so I was just very strategic growing up about how I would have a life and a career in the arts. Yeah. Wow. I think that's incredible because I feel like typically in that situation, I mean, I don't know if this is typical anymore. I feel like we have so many stories where it's, it's hard to say what's typical, but in my perception, typically, you know, a parent would say, make sure you get a stable job and then you can do that. But I love how your parents said, like, if you're going to do that, you got to be the best at it. And I love that. Like that is, that's incredible. And and I think at the same time, that's like a a great responsibility to be like, okay, obviously like this is what I want to do. My parents are supporting me. Now I have to be really good at it because they're supporting me. And part of that too is how do I live? How do I have a stable life? Yeah. Which we don't talk about enough. Like as a, yes, I'm an artist, but also we do have to pay bills too. So that was part of my plan, which was, in talking with them too, it's like, actually, how am I, how am I going to live a life like this? Mm-hmm. How am I going to live a life as a theater director? So it's not even actor, like a director, like do, do people even know what a director does? You know, like <laughs> being an actor or a singer or a pop star, like that's more tangible or a model is even tangible, right? Mm-hmm. Even a director, like what does a theater director or even a director even do and how much they get paid and how do you even get started? And is there school for it? But yeah. I did that research and I had to do that thinking and, you know, even networking and pulling my professors and mentors and trying to say like, how did you do it? And how are you making it work? So I had that hunger ever since I was little to say like, no, I want to do this for real, but I have to figure out how you're all doing it and how are you paying your bills? And, and so that was all part, that was all very, that's why I say strategic that yeah. way that I have a very you know practical mind when it comes like I'm very much a feely touchy-feely artist but I'm pretty practical in that way where I I always was thinking how am I going to sustain myself and live comfortably while pursuing my passion yeah I feel like you rather than the typical starving artist you are the strategic artist yes <laughs> I like that that's I like beautiful that. yes it's a nice way to put it there you go <laughs> you can take yeah. that <laughs> Yeah. And most people, I mean, it makes me think about my dad and how my dad is a, oh God, I asked him this in the interview. I asked him this like probably once a week and ever forget. I always forget what he says. He's some kind of engineer, mechanical engineer. That's what it is. (laughs) And he's done that forever, but he's also been into music forever. And he's played like every instrument that there is. And he's always 
you know, no matter how hard he works, he goes into his office at like ridiculous hours, four, five, six a.m. And he doesn't come home till like eight, nine p.m. That's like a typical day for him. But even mm. so, he'll come home and work on his music after. He'll still be in a band on the weekends and you know, prioritize that time. It's like his me time or his self-care time, I guess. And I think that that's what he's really always wanted to do with his life, except that whole conversation about, you know, keeping a roof over your head and having a stable job and having that financial security has obviously gotten in the way and rerouted his path a little bit. And so, yeah, it makes me think about how that is kind of the approach when we do feel passionate about arts is like, okay, well, that's a passion, that's a hobby, that's something I can do in my free time, but it's not something that like, I'm allowed to actually make a career out of. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you had parents from a very young age, especially from such like secure and stable backgrounds themselves who were Mm -hmm. like, no, actually, we support you. And if you're going to do this, like, go full throttle at it, you know, and like, really do it. Right. And I feel this interview is catching me at an interesting moment where the more I share my story, when people just are curious about me, the more I get these kinds of stories where Mm -hmm. people then reveal to me what they truly love. And they're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, if I had followed my passion. And so I'm like, I'm almost like this, I feel like I'm a collector of people's people confessing what their true passions are and saying, oh, that's so cool. You're doing it because if I, and I was like, I feel so like, of course, you know, grateful for my own journey, but I don't know. I I think it's important to share my story. Yeah. The more, more of us to say, like, we're doing what we love. and, And I'm saying I was put in a very, you know, privileged situation to succeed. And I know I work for everything I have. Yeah. I, you're catching me at a moment where more than ever, I have talked to people who are just like, wow, I would have, if I could do anything I would, or when I retire, I'm going to, and it's like, wow, wow. I never thought even growing up in such a, you know, a traditional, you know, mindset with, with physician parents, I always knew I was just going to do what I really wanted to do. And I was going to make a life for myself. And yeah, so I yeah. just, those people who are listening here, I just want to put it out there that we have to start living for ourselves now and it's, and it's possible. Yeah. You know, Jessica, I know that you are a professor as well. And shout out to San Diego State University. Go Aztecs. That's where I graduated. I know that you are a faculty member there and you also are the head of directing at the theater department there at San Diego State University. And I'm curious to know, like, because you just shared with us that there's a lot of people who kind of see you as this maybe beacon of hope of like, oh my gosh, like, I I wish I could do that. One day I could do that. But tell me about your experience with your students. Do you get that kind of feedback from them considering how, you know, they're still in the educational system aspiring, you know, to be in the arts? Yeah, I remember one of my first semesters, I had a student, a Filipino woman, Mm. student, female student who came to my office hours and I was helping her on some project, on a directing project. And at the end, she stood up and she said, can I hug you? And I said, okay. And so I hugged you. We hugged. And she said, I want to thank you for just being you. Because, you know, you're just doing it. You know, you're just doing it. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, I am. And I was just so emotional the rest of that day because I was that beacon of hope for her. That she Mm -hmm. said, I'm seeing you, professor. I'm seeing you do it. Mm -hmm. And 
and she was thanking me for just being me. And so I do feel that in my students. I do feel that, you know, I am a lot of what I have to do is motivate my students, motivate them to say, you know, just as hard as everyone is working on over there in their bio major, like we have to work that hard Mm. in theater. You have Mm -hmm. to work that hard on directing. Like think about what, you know, yes, there are certain like steps that go to all these other, all these other ways of life. But for us, you know, what your work means is starting your own projects, reading up, get inspiration, going to events, like all of that is part of the career, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like living a life in this so that you're really ingrained and really making sure that you're involved in every aspect and always bettering yourself as an artist. So it's not even like I made it. It's like, okay, I'm here. I made it. Now I'm working as a director. It's like, no, I'm always juggling projects. I'm always figuring out, should I take that? Should I not? Who should I, who are the writers I really want to be working with right now? Do I have some cool ideas that I've been sitting on that I just want to play with on my own, but I don't, do I need funding for that? So, mm. and then also with teaching too, it's like juggling that too. So I'm, I know that this is going to be a con, like, it's not like, okay, I'm set. And now it's nine to five and, and here I am. It's like right. yeah, this career because I know the projects are changing. I'm changing the world changes. So the art changes. So, and that's part of my calling as an artist to kind of go with the flow of yeah. how the world changes through storytelling. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that because for myself, I've been an entrepreneur for a decade and I've had different variations of businesses. And I say like, I have like three main businesses that I'm willing to tell you about, but I've had a lot of projects (laughs) I haven't like ever, (laughs) I will never tell you about. And I feel like the parallel I'm seeing with kind of entrepreneurship and creatives and artists such as yourself is, is just that importance of practicing presence, like constantly. And also like reassessing what the resources you have in front of you, the connections, the time you have, like, it's very much like living in the present and living life essentially, where I think that And, you know, I haven't worked a nine to five in quite a long time, but I think about like how monotonous it can kind of get. And sometimes people need that. Like sometimes you need that like stable foundation for other things. I'm like, I know for Nani, for example, but like, you know, the fact that you're about to be a mom, right. And it's like, you know, we've always had talks about your work and yet, you know, here you are still, you know, in your job, not saying it's bad, but it's because the reasons why you have it is because you're about to be a mom, you know? So I think it's just beautiful to have people such as yourself, Jessica, that exist to, you know, continue to create that awareness that there are different ways, different ways to live life. There are different ways to make a living. Yeah. And and even for me, I I could also just be a freelance artist. I could just do Mm -hmm. that, but I'm also a professor because uh, there's a certain lifestyle I want too. Yeah. Right. I also enjoy, I, I really enjoy being a professor. I believe I'm pretty good at it. And I find that it's, I'm also teaching what I love, but there's also a certain stability that I do want. And I Mm -hmm. also want a family. So that's something that was very strategic too, for me. (laughs) I have a dog with a lot of health issues and I (laughs) be able to afford all of that right now. Yeah. Really a big part of my life, my dog truly. And, And I speak about that so, so seriously because just even maintaining, you know, the help that she needs, I'm able to do that, provide that for her and, and yeah. I need and I need her in my life. So it's all, it's not even saying that like, there's nothing wrong with stability. It's, it's all part of what, what feeds you, you know, yeah. and how it's all part, it's all part of that strategy, the overall strategy of how you want to live your life. Right. And uh, totally get it. Nani and I are both fur parents here. So <laughs> I'm literally sharing frozen grapes with my dog right now. <laughs> 
as we speak. So I totally get it. He has been to the vet three times in the last like four months and all of his vet bills are always like, I feel like those cartoons where your eyes pop out of your head and you're like, whoa, (laughs) okay. I definitely need a stable job to keep up with this. And he's, you know, 10 years old now. So he's only collecting (laughs) health issues at this point. But yeah, no, going back to the conversation that we were having or the way that we referred to you as the strategic artist, I think that Mm -hmm. that's a really beautiful thing that you've been able to do in not only be a performing artist yourself, but also become a professor to -hmm. teach others to give back and to earn that stability that you know you need, you know, at the same time. I think that's a very creative way to kind of manifest both of those needs that you're trying to fulfill there with your passion. And I think that the moment that you were describing with your student is really just representative of you being able to do that. And other people, you know, you talking about collecting these stories of people telling you what they want to do when they retire or what they wish that, you know, they could do is really them saying, like, I'm living vicariously through you you know, and your story. And so I think that that's also really beautiful to be able to hold as well as part of your experience is being that walking possibility for them, you know, and it sounds like you're in the right space, you know, in your teaching profession to show younger kids or young adults (laughs) what that's like and what's possible for them in the event that they didn't grow up in the same kind of environment that you did with the supportive parents who are like, yeah, go for your dreams, you know? Right. Absolutely. And yeah, I hope, I hope to be that supportive voice for them if they're not getting it. Exactly. Uh, um, But also being very real of, uh, and that's why I can be tough at times because it's it's a lot of work and and you Mm -hmm. have to be an entrepreneur. You just, as an artist, you actually have to, that's the only way you're going to, you're going to succeed. Nothing has been handed to me. Like nothing, Mm -hmm. like as, as like in it and things are coming, like nothing is handed to me. Like I've worked for it. I can tell you like with every gig that's being handed to me, what seems to be offered to me, I can tell you all the steps, Mm. like the, the minimum five steps that is, ending with this offer of what did I do in the last 10 years that is now showing itself in this offer that's coming to my agent. You know, it's like, it's not just like, oh, it just came to me. It's like, oh, I right. It's not like you graduated with your degree, you applied for a job and you got this job and now you have a manual of responsibilities (laughs) that you go through in order to do your job. It's like, you literally have to find creative solutions to get to each opportunity on your path. And that's always going to look different. And so here are the ways that you can, you know, source those out, but it's an active kind of practice of you sourcing those things out and finding new ways to get to them. So I think that that's also an important part to note as well about the strategy of Mm -hmm. your, of your practice. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I I really like just getting into the practicalities of being an artist and being a creative, because I think that in a lot of, I don't even have like stats on this is more of just personal experience and observation, but like, you know, even in a lot of our community, you know, it's, it's, it's quite unrealistic to pursue a space like this. And if you want to pursue it, there's no roadmap, essentially, there's no role model. So it makes sense why that student, that Filipina hugged you and thanked you for being you because 
you know, your existence lets her know that there is some kind of roadmap out there, you know? Speaking of entrepreneurship, Jessica, you founded a company back in 2014 called People of Interest. And one of your productions back in 2019 is called A&Q. And this is a documentary regarding you know, people who are directly affected by the war on drugs in the Philippines. And so I want to make this transition now to some of the fun stuff you're doing outside of your, I guess, nine to five, (laughs) which is also just as fun. Let's not, you know, I'm not going to, you know, say that, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about that and and some of the fun projects you've worked on throughout the years, including A&Q. Yeah, I love to talk a little about A&Q. So in 2017, I got this amazing fellowship, the Julie Taymor World Theater Fellowship. And Julie Taymor is the director and designer of The Lion King that a lot of us know. And so Mm, um, she chose three directors to travel the world and she fully funded it. And so I traveled the world for a year. I was the first one to get it. Wow. I traveled to Thailand, (laughs) Japan, the Philippines to study traditional forms of performance so mask and wow. puppetry and and traditional dance so i landed in the and philippines was one of my stops and i was going to study more traditional performance but what i found is that it was a country at the moment and still is a country that is going through so much turmoil and suffering mm. and and disagreement and yeah. so just speaking to the people and to my friends and collaborators mainly up Dilaman, it seemed that you know, they were interested in my documentary theater work. So I do a lot of interview-based work where the sort of content comes from the interviews and we create original pieces from that. And so that's really the the big basis of the work that I do with my company. And so it started in 2017 and then we did a full production in 2019 at Pineapple Lab in Makati, which is no longer there, you know, stuff happening with COVID, but so such amazing artists in the Philippines. And we did interviews with people that are both on both sides of the experience of what it means, of what's going on with the war on drugs and even Duterte at the time. So much has changed in the last two years, but mm. at the time we were doing interviews with different people on both sides and wow. with actors, with translators, and we created an original work that we shared with the community. And we interviewed, you know, people in the barangay eating, <laughs> you know, eating food and, and doing karaoke and then doing interviews. And, and then we would also, you know, meet with, religious leaders and we would meet with you know people's parents and we, I interviewed my family and mm. it was mm. such an amazing thing to work in the Philippines because even my own identity as a Filipino is so I understand it very differently because being Filipino is like when I'm here it's like yeah we look the same we, we make you know accents and like <laughs> pride and food and like actually when I think of the Philippines I think about you know these amazing artists. I think about the people that are struggling. I think about, you know, what are the, the suffering that's happening, mm-hmm. but also just the complexity about what, what's happening there. And it's just so much more than these things that, yeah, these fun things that bring us together here. But yeah, it's just, I found it important for me to go back now regularly, just to connect with my friends and artistic colleagues there. Yeah, no, I think that's incredible. And I imagine it's different from even your own upbringing of going to the Philippines quite frequently, right? It must feel more purposeful, I think, to come back in this kind of fashion. Yeah, it is totally different. Yeah, before just going to visit family, but now going to actually work. Yeah. And then I've also gone back to, you know, speak at lecture and go to conferences. So so now I'm going back more professionally. And yeah, it, it's just so different that I'm like connected in a, in a really different way but I, I understand the culture in a so much deeper it's, it's yeah. deeper than my own family stuff I'm starting to really understand 
you know, what's happening to the people and all. And I'm interested in, in all perspectives. And that that was sort of exciting and tricky about this show is that we mm-hmm. we call it A and Q because it was answers and questions as opposed to Q and A, because the yeah. more answers we got, the more questions we had. Yeah, so that nice. was really why we just like it didn't even have an answer. It was just like you just kind of leave you know, more wondering about the other side. And that's mm. how I like to approach my art, which is just, I, I start in a place of curiosity. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that, you know, what you just talked about really highlights, like, at least for me as well, the two really main factors of my Filipino identity is like, A, my family experience and how I learned how to be a Filipino woman from other Filipino women, well, also the Filipino men in my, in my life who played, you know, huge parts of my life. And I'm, I'm very close to all my family, but also in my adult experience, learning about the broader spectrum of the political landscape and the social landscape Mm -hmm. and what's actually going on in the Philippines. Cause also being a Filipino American over here in the Bay area is like (laughs) a completely different identity, I guess you could say, than being a Filipino in the Philippines. And so also, you know, my journey and learning about those things and the war on drugs and just the corrupt nature of politics in the Philippines, you know, specifically now with Duterte as the president and kind of the havoc that he's wreaked on the nation, like over the last however many years that he's been president now, and to know that is not abnormal for the Philippines, right? It's like traditional for the Philippines to have a president that is all the things that he is. And I can go on forever about this, but I won't. I'm just very (laughs) curious to see you know, this film that you made and listen to the interviews that you did, because that's something that I'm also always curious about is people's interpretations of what's going on over there and Mm -hmm. how they're either in support of or strongly resisting it. And also how the conversation carries over here to Phil Ams in America Mm -hmm. is another thing that I'm very curious about and what's really driven my involvement in local community organizing over the years. So yeah, that's a complicated and complex conversation always, but something that I think that is really integral to anyone's Filipino identity. And regardless of how you feel about it, you should know the facts, you know, you should understand what's going on, you should know the history. And I think that that's why we try to do a lot of that here Mm -hmm. in our storytelling with our guests not only highlighting who they are and what they're doing today and, you know, the diversity that comes with being a Panay in America, but also what their history is and what their connection to these struggles are of the people in the Philippines. Yeah, absolutely. I want to lift that even more of just taking the time to understand or just to read a little bit more about what's happening there, but also who are the artists that are even like musicians and artists that are creating work in response. And mm, absolutely the whole, like everything that we have here, it's happening there. You know, there's communities, there's artists, there's activists, there's, you know, people on the line and there's so much to learn in the homeland right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is why I love doing the show because I get to learn through people like you. <laughs> And like your experiences of going in the Philippines. And I want to give a shout out to our editor, Dennis, who is in the Philippines. And um, I've referred, I feel like I've referred many podcasters to him. Because oh, just... yes. And wait, sidebar, not yeah. sidebar. Dennis, don't cut this out. We just, <laughs> I'd want to take one moment to wish Ash 
a happy 11th birthday, even though it happened a couple days now uh-huh. ago. It was oh, Dennis's right, yeah. son's birthday. So happy, happy birthday to Dennis's son. His name is Ash. Everybody go leave comments below this video and let, <laughs> let Dennis and Ash know that you're thinking of them and wishing them a belated happy birthday. Yes. Thank you for remembering that or plugging that in because yeah, he just recently told us out of the blue. He's like, Oh, I'm going to take the day off today to like celebrate with my son. It's his birthday. And I was like, Oh, well, happy birthday to your son. So yes. And you know, also just shout out to Dennis. He is part of the entertainment scene in the Philippines for quite a long time. And he's been working with us for a number of, yeah, like two years, as long as Nani's been here on the show. So it's just really cool to be able to outsource, you know, to the Philippines and get help from there to be able to have our production. Like the show wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for people like him and even my virtual assistant, Patricia, not Nani. (laughs) And, you know, and just being able to, you know, give them opportunities as well. Like just being able to create that bridge of opportunity, I feel like. Like a lot of the people I've worked with in my business throughout the years have been because of people I've outsourced to in the Philippines. And I feel comfortable with it. (laughs) I feel very comfortable doing that, just knowing that I'm supporting them in that way. But um, there's just so much to learn, I think, about the Philippines. And I'm just glad that as a Filipino American, I have an opportunity such as the show to engage with people such as yourself, Jessica, to come back with with this documentary, in a sense, and share it to us and create more of awareness of what's going on. Right. And it's it's actually a documentary theater piece. So it's a live piece. (laughs) Love (laughs) it. One day. I'm thinking of remounting it here in the States one day. So that's my hope in the next couple of years to bring that to life here in the States. Because it's, it's really interesting about using documentary, documentary film practices, but in a live performance. Wow. That's one yeah. So I'm curious how it would compare to like when you were creating this, did you run into any issues or worries about, you know, like the anti-terror law type of stuff and kind of the people that you were interviewing or the narrative that you were creating, were you worried at all about receiving flack for that or getting attention, I guess you could say, from the Philippine government? And how would it compare to something like a documentary? I don't know if you've seen the the Kingmaker, I think on Showtime about Imelda Marcos, like, Mm -hmm. how would you compare this work to that type of work? Well, this... Of course, that's always, you know, in any kind of, when you're dealing with anything that's like even a, a, a hint political. Controversial, yeah. Especially. But I was very clear about my intention of the piece, which is actually to learn about both sides or all sides. So that's, that. that was the intention of the piece. And that's really how I approach a lot of my work. So mm-hmm. even if I have a clear belief system, I don't even always kind of force that in the work I do, I start from a place of a real curiosity. So yeah, I was interested in understanding the full picture because of course I, I come in with a very clear opinion based on my community and what I read, but even mm-hmm. that's very much curated. So yeah, I went into this piece wanting to learn from, hear from all sides. And because of that, people were very received respectful. differently. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that well, obviously, The Kingmaker is a documentary that was made for Showtime. So, of course, its main purpose is going to be for entertainment. And so, naturally, the narrative that they create, you know, during that storytelling outline, I guess you could say, is, at least in my opinion, what I got was trying to paint her as like this monster, you know. And so, whether I agree with that or not, I think as a creator or as a director, in your position, you're right, it's not necessarily and it depends what the 
purpose of your piece is about, you know, like if you're creating something for Showtime again, obviously it has to be entertaining, but since this is your own independent private project, I appreciate your, the curiosity that you led with and really wanting to understand both sides and understand how different people think about the situation. Because even if you don't agree, the people that, you know, believe differently than you still exist and they still take up space and they're still part of the same conversation. So it is important to highlight their story or their narrative as well. So I appreciate that you sharing that kind of approach. Right. And that kind of question is how I start all my work. So just thinking about process, my like sort of director's process, yeah. and I start from a, from a question as opposed to like, this is what I believe, you know, I, I think there's yeah. that in there always in some way, but especially when I'm doing the work with my company, mm-hmm. doing documentary work, I'm always I'm interested in in a question like, for example, I did this dance theater piece. I do also I do choreography too. I did this dance theater piece 2019 at La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego um, as part of their Without Walls Festival, which is like a site-specific theater festival. And it was called PDA, Public Display of Affection. And it was all real couple performers. And the question I was interested in is, how do couples love each other in public? <laughs> Because I'm like, not, I was, you know, at the time I didn't consider myself a big PDA person. And I was just like, mm. what's about? And so even like, there's some there's stuff like A and Q. And then I'm also like, huh, how do people love each other out loud? Yeah. You know, and then I, I kind of start from that curious place. And then the dance piece comes from that. And it was just really sweet. And we did it outside. And it was just really fun to see how these couples, you know, of all different ages and lengths of, of relationships um, touch each other. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So again, so my work ranges, but there's always sort of a central question or a curiosity that's threaded throughout based on my own interests, you know? So I guess yeah. another thing to say about my work as a director, it's very personal. Everything is very personal, yeah. not necessarily like, that's my story. Or some people might think, oh, that, you know, Chinese American main character is, is probably you. And I'm like, no, I, I don't relate to that character as much <laughs> as I do that character, but mm-hmm. I myself in my work, or there's something that I'm wrestling with personally that maybe my collaborators may never know. Mm. They may never know what what I'm going through inside, but is driving me to, to create or to spend all this time, weeks, months with this work, because I am personally you know, wrestling with things. So I want to just say as an artist too, what's so hard about it too, is that the work is emotional. Yeah. And even as I deal with my own personal stuff, I can't just say, okay, put your emotions away, put your feelings away, put all the stuff you're going through away. And now, now work on this heart wrenching piece about this. And it's like, no, I'm a deeply feeling person. And so I have to find actually my own self journey is part of my creative process. Yeah. And to be able to humanize yourself through your art is such a challenge or it sounds you know to someone who doesn't create art like this sounds like such a challenge and like you said it's not like you know I'm creating a story where the main character is portraying me and what I'm going through it's maybe you know these three characters or all of the characters are representing something different about what I'm grappling with right now and how you know this inner conflict that I'm feeling or going through or working through right now right And so I think that that's also the beautiful thing about, you know, your role in creating a piece of art and directing a story telling process is, you know, again, being able to humanize yourself through one 
collective story that's just a culmination of, you know, different things that may be happening inside one person, or maybe different things that may be happening inside of multiple people who are all interacting together too. It's like, what a complex process it sounds like. <laughs> it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. And I need the support of my community, my family, my therapist, also my practice and yoga and Muay Thai and my dog. Like there's a whole, everyone's like, wow, you have it such together. And I'm like, I have a whole, there's like a whole system that's helping yeah. me every day. Like, village, I, right? I, really, I was like, the reason why yeah. I'm standing here strong, speaking to you like this, there is a whole, I'm just going to be very real about this. Like there's so many things that are contributing to my strength right now. And I couldn't do it without any one of them. Yeah. Ooh, I'm just listening to everything that you're sharing, Jessica, and even the way that Nani's contributing. It really speaks to me. The key thing that you said in your conversation is curiosity. And I think the reason why I've been able to do over, I think, 500 interviews since summer 2019 is because I just have a general curiosity to find common ground with people. Like that's why I love podcasting. That's why I love having these discussions because if you pay attention to mainstream media and social media for too long, you can easily, you know, feel combative and a little defensive. And for me, it's like, what I like about podcasting is it feels like it's that one space still online that it kind of has like a long form type of medium where you can have open dialogue with people. And so I just appreciate everything you're sharing and really like the core of why you do what you do, it comes down to that curiosity. And yeah, I mean, that's just, I just, I'm just really moved by that. <laughs> curiosity about myself. Like I think, yeah. I think I have it together and then things fall apart and it's yeah. like, Oh, I thought I knew who I was, or I just thought I knew how I handled things or I knew who I could count on. And then it just falls apart. So then I have to start all over and say, Oh, yeah. Okay. I guess, or even when my industry total, I didn't think, I wasn't sure if he was even going to come back during COVID. Yeah. Like, oh, well, what am I even living for anymore? And what is work? And what yeah. am I really like, what's the point of all this if I can't make art? And now that I'm back to making art in person, what are the things that I did to replace that? That's mm. something that is like new as of the last few days. Where I was like, I haven't actually been in a rehearsal room and I'm doing it right now. You're catching me a few days in and I haven't done it in over a year and a half. And this is what I made to do. Yeah. I am made to lead rooms to tell stories and I haven't done that in a year and a half. And so I'm looking back at the last year and a half and saying, how did I fill that time? And what made me whole during that time when mm. I realized I was missing something that was so core to who I am? So I'm having a lot of questions for myself of what really fills me. And I'm finding it here, you know, now that I'm getting back to doing my work again. Yeah, I think that as things are starting to open up again, we are really appreciating kind of what we lost during this time. I'm going to be speaking at an in-person conference for the first time since like, I think March, 2020, like a well, you know, year and a half ago in August. And I feel I'm like, I have like very mixed feelings about it because during this time I've kind of learned to enjoy doing things virtually, but I also had that hunger for doing things in person. And so in hearing what you're saying, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's this weird time to kind of acknowledge what it took for us to, I guess, survive the pandemic. 
And what are we going to do with that now that we're kind of sort of coming out of it? I mean, it depends on what state you're in. Sometimes they're like, oh, we're going to close down again. But either way, it is kind of this weird, interesting time where you really just have to be open. And, and just like what you said, and the, I think the common theme of our discussion today is lead with curiosity, like lead with curiosity and the curiosity to discover who you are now, you know, because who you are now could be different than who you were even yesterday, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And then that's what we hope. We hope to evolve and, and change. That's yeah. the hope that we just keep discovering new parts of ourselves and what's possible. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm excited for in this next phase of like, I haven't even done my greatest work yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting started. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> Hey, I have so much, I have so much more life to go through and so much more love to give and so much, so many greater projects to do. So I have to remind myself of that when things get tough. I was like, no, I, it's only going to be greater and with lots of learning along the way, but there's still greatness to come and, and trusting, trusting that helps me every day. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. So before we talk about your life lesson, I have to ask you because I've lived in San Diego for 20 years and you are currently, you know, faculty at San Diego State University and you are the head of directing for the theater department there. So go Aztecs. I graduated in 2011, by the way. So I'm just like crazy obsessed that you are involved in there. But also I'm curious about just the general like theater scene in San Diego, because I remember I had a friend who was a Panay who thought very critically of, you know, the theater scene in San Diego. But this was like years ago. So I'm just kind of curious to get your perspective on it because I myself had never been involved, but, you know, I would think, for example, like places like La Jolla, for example, you wouldn't see a lot of, you know, people of brown skin in those spaces. So any thoughts on that and your perspective? Yeah, I am so excited to be living in San Diego because I think it's at a point of growth. Like there's, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of opportunity right now that there are these major theaters that I've been welcomed into so, so wonderfully. And I'm so grateful for that like La Jolla Playhouse, where I'm actually working out right now. Love it. So yeah, I will say things are changing and that the stories they're telling, the artists that they're welcoming in and on on stage and behind the scenes, it's changing. Uh, And so I'm I'm feeling very hopeful about this next phase. Um, And also more theater companies are popping up uh, in San Diego and even more that are, that are, or collectives that are more, you know, affinity as specific to an affinity group. And so I just think that there's opportunity. People want to see art. I think it is a welcoming city in that way. So my hope, even as a professor is to motivate students to start their own companies and to get out there and start work. So I'm coming from a place that's very hopeful and very open. And I'm also challenging what theater is and the theater that in the works that I'm making in San Diego, I'm doing a site specific piece right now with La Jolla Playhouse where it's called, Can We Now? And it's it's a sort of a fun dance theater piece where, we're, where I'm exploring how we're learning how to touch each other again in public. <laughs> Can we now? Ooh. I love that. Can we now? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I yeah. think there's a lot, there's a lot coming. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you are part of that wave, you know, of, I guess, inclusivity in a sense in San Diego. So that way people don't have to keep going to LA, you know, San Diego is cool too, y'all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I work there too. And, but I think, yeah, there's opportunity to, for growth. And so I, I want to absolutely be part of that. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been quite a refreshing conversation, Jessica. Just thank you again for existing. And in wrapping up, I know that we talked extensively about living life with curiosity, but that was also part of your life lesson. And another side of the life lesson that we haven't shared yet is that, you know, you are currently on the other side of divorce. So tell us a little bit about that and how that ties in with your lesson to live life with curiosity. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's been a really difficult few years wrestling with that on different Mm. stages and different levels of healing and also dealing with reality and truth. And I will just say that I was truly carried by the support of my community, my friends, my family, and also recognizing what I needed Mm. for my body and for my soul and for my mind. And I will say that being in San Diego has been a big part of that journey because most of my life was in New York with my ex-husband. And Mm. so coming to San Diego, it was a time for me to think about what space and place means and how does my energy shift and what is the life I really want to live and how do I want to be loved and treated and what do I truly need? And so I will say coming as difficult and just painful no matter, even if it's a, a signature, mm. like it's all emotional. Every step of it is emotional, as logistic as it is. It was so, so hard, but learning to accept and learning to be very kind to myself and actually choosing myself and choosing how I want to live life most fully, where I can shine and where I, what yeah. lights me up. And so I will just say that what really helped me is my health, my body, my mental health, and also recognizing who's really there to, to listen to me and to help me process and also giving mm. myself the time I need. I yeah. need to it. And so every step of the way has been very interesting and very like, and there's still moments where I was like, oh my gosh, is this happening to me? <laughs> yeah. Really? Am I like, I'm a divorcee. I never thought. (laughs) Welcome to the club. I'm like, can you believe I'm a divorcee? I know. I was like, I never thought I would. (laughs) I like how you make it sound a divorcee. (laughs) Divorcee, You know, so I, I, I'm making light of it, but yeah, truly I, but I just have to truly, I've learned to really accept what is happening, you know, what the universe is really presenting to me. Um, and going with the flow, just going with the flow and stepping into my power and choosing myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've talked a lot about, um, you know, how you lead with curiosity, whether it's, you know, from when you were younger, discovering the performing arts to now and how you approach your work um, in directing. And I like that now with your life lesson, you take that a step further and really focus on choosing curiosity like over shame, for example, where Mm, in many of these examples that I'm hearing you talk about, I feel like our natural instinct or reaction, the way that we've been taught to talk to ourselves is to shame ourselves for these things and to essentially sweep them under the rug and say, oh, it's ugly. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want other people to see it. So I'm going Mm -hmm. to, you know, pretend like it didn't happen, or I'm going to make up this story that makes myself feel better about the reality of it. And really what you're saying is, no, let's sit with it. You know, like, let's actually 
just look at it in the face and see it for what it is and get curious about it, you know, invite it in. And I think that that is just so powerful, powerful and pivotal, especially for, you know, the sake of our cultural narrative, again, Mm -hmm. where it's been so normalized for us to just sweep things under the rug or to glamorize things or romanticize things so that it doesn't look like what it is. And in reality, it's like, it's, this is part of life, you know, ugly moments are part of life the same way as the beautiful ones and the proud ones and, and all the good feeling ones. And we have to learn how to come to terms with that. You know, as human beings, we're not supposed to be happy all the time. We're not, everything Mm -hmm. is not supposed to be flowers and rainbows and ponies, you know, like (laughs) we have to learn, we have to actively choose how to make beauty out of those other mm. moments. And so I just really appreciate you doing that, you know, with yourself, not just preaching it, but practicing it as well. Yeah. And I know it's not easy. I mean, even in this moment, I'm speaking to you in, in a place of confidence and power, but I'm also heartbroken. Like, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right now, that's the truth of this moment that I think that's a lot of what life is. It's constantly a paradox that we are like all these things. Yeah. Yes. They'll talk. Yep. You know, yes. so- and we have to be walking examples of how to hold both at the same time, you oh. know, like, just because you're heartbroken doesn't mean you can't be happy. Also, you know, mm-hmm. just because you're heartbroken doesn't mean that you can't still hold yourself with confidence and vice versa. So I think that that's important to know, you know, as we go out into the world and like, thinking back to your A&Q documentary about really wanting to highlight both sides and kind of thinking about the landscape that we're living in today where everyone is just so polarized and, you know, pushing their opinions on one another. It's like, we don't have to put ourselves into these buckets. We can just slide on a spectrum. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And we're all on the same spectrum. So it's just about meeting, finding where we can meet each other at. And, you know, the way that we do that is acknowledging that, you know, two things can be true at one time. Right. So I love, you know, how you're really, exemplifying that with yourself. Thank you so much. Yeah. That was beautiful, Nani. That was a beautiful observation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, uh, on that note, Jessica, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our show today. I want to thank you again so much for being here. And of course, for our listeners, if you want to reach out to Jessica, you can find her on Jessica Jane on Instagram or Facebook, Jessica Prudencio, or check out her website, jessicaprudencio.com. So with that said, Jessica, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And Nani, thank you for co-hosting with me as always. And Jen, you're welcome as always. (laughs) I love it. I will be here until I can't anymore. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Even then, it will just be temporarily. I'll still be here in spirit. (laughs) It's true, it's true. All right, and again, to our listeners, thank you all so much for joining us. We love and appreciate you all, and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time.